Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 2-12-2023, and we're continuing where we left off with the thought of the week and prayer. And here we have the thought of the week entitled Truth versus Tradition or Emotion. There is a classic passage in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, that reads, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Truth should never be judged by your thoughts or your ways. Or another way to put it is do not judge the truth by how you feel about it. This is hard to see because we are so trusting and accepting of what is familiar to us. And I should add what feels good to us. Truth should never be made to bow to what seems or feels right to us. As our Lord taught about those first century Jews, I'm sorry, as our Lord taught about those first century Jews, quote, they worship me in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. And that's taken from Matthew chapter 15, verse 9. Truth is naturally foreign to us which is why we must have the humility to see it. When the disciples heard, from the, heard the truth from Jesus, Thomas responded with, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Question asked in John 14, verse 5. Or we can see Philip's response, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Taken from John 14, verse 8. Or, as Nicodemus said, how can this be? And from John 3, verse 9. I am sure these questions represent all of us when we hear the truth. With strained and wrinkled brows, we all struggle with the theology of truth compared to our tradition. We have securely tied our emotions to our precious traditional norms and standards. Not only has truth become foreign, but we are often incensed and frustrated at the sound of it. From Acts chapter 7, verse 54, is this. So when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. Truth is determined by what the Word of God teaches, and the Word of God is always ready for, quote, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Taken from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. I don't have much commentary to offer on this. I think it makes it clear the polarity that exists between God's thoughts and ways and between our thoughts and ways. We cannot trust our emotions or even our own logic. We must learn from Him. So do not put the cart of your truth before the horse of humility towards God's thoughts and ways. Learn from Him. And that's my commentary and my thought of the week. And we'll turn it over for Dave for prayer. Thank you, Dave. Okay, thanks, Dwight. Do anyone have any special prayer requests? Just as we mentioned, Dave, though, the tragedy of uh, and loss of life in Turkey and Syria. Okay. I mean, please bow your heads. Take us to the throne of bits of prayer. Most Heavenly Father, we're thankful, Lord, 
that you, Lord, provide us the way, Father. It's not always, Father. It's your way, Father. We ask you, Lord, to protect us while we're here on this on this on this earth, Father. But we, Father God, we ask you, oh Lord, also, Lord, to protect those on this call, Father. That you you will protect all our families, Father. We ask you, Lord, to look over those the massive laws in Turkey that had the earthquake, Father, and in Syria. They had all those people that missing and lost, Father, in the, in the direction of the rubble, Father. We ask you, Lord, to comfort those, Father, who are in need, Father. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will provide us, Father, the ways allow the Holy Spirit to teach us, us the sense of word, Father, as we go forth in learning of your word, Father. In Christ's name, we ask this in prayer. Amen. 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 Thank you both, Dwight and Dave. For we certainly appreciate that. We are moving forward in Galatians now. We're in the Galatians overview. You should have notes. And in your notes, we're going to get right to it. Uh, as we launch out into Galatians chapter 1, our hope is to be familiar with the foundational material before us. This book has themes that are rich in our understanding of grace and living the Christian way of life. It's been about 12 years since our last focus on the book. We will do a chapter review on each chapter to remind us of the content. So we have covered quite a few verses already in the book of Galatians chapter 1, and but we still find ourselves in chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's get to it. Uh, I think if you go down in the notes, you'll get to Paul's introduction, uh, Galatians 1, 13 through 24. So we, <clears throat> that verse 13 reads, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. <clears throat> Paul's previous way of life in Judaism we covered in Philippians 3, 1 through 7, in his own words, how he was Pharisee of Pharisees and so forth. He was an exceptional Hebrew uh, tribe of Benjamin, on and on. We won't cover that again, but I think it's cer certainly worthy of our attention since it is his own opinion or way of, he saw his life in, in Judaism. Point B, how intensely I persecuted the church. So I gave various uh, translations of that word, uh, intensely. And the King James Version, persecuted beyond measure. NET Bible, savagely persecuted. The ESV, persecuted violently. The LSV, exceedingly persecuted. The CEV, cruel to God's church. The GNB, Good News Bible, persecuted without mercy. So we have, hopefully, sometimes by the way the word is translated, you get to see the various shades of meaning that that Greek word brought us. So <clears throat> I, that was point B. Point C, tried to destroy it. So he, Paul says he intensely tried to destroy the church 
So just think about that. We're in the church. God called the church from eternity past. Paul is saying when he was a Jew, when he was a Pharisee and all that, his mission, his goal in life was to destroy the church. He made it his, his goal to just destroy what God had created. So it's interesting when we see all that in Romans, and, uh, you know, Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, all the way through 11. Paul is not just talking about the Jews. He's talking about where he was. Now, those, those were the shoes that he walked in. <laughs> Let's say the sandals he walked in. Because he, he, this is, describes him perfectly. That's where he was. And he's not uh, hiding the fact that he was there. He's transparent about it. He's telling us exactly where he stood. None of us were walking in truth all of our lives. None of us were. So... We shouldn't be ashamed of it. We should, you know, because our life, the story of where we came from. I know I came from Seventh-day Adventism. And I am no longer Seventh-day Adventist anymore. I came, God, God the Holy Spirit brought me out of that uh, denomination. So it is certainly something that we are, we are not ashamed of. We should, I wouldn't say be proud of, that's not a thing, but we learned, we learned from those, that, that journey that God brought us that way. So obviously when we talk about the Apostle Paul, God brought him through Judaism. That is certainly the case. <clears throat> so let's keep going in our notes. Because that is, that is a, just a little thought that we could take from that. Because he tried to destroy it. So Paul considered, this is point C, Paul considered the church the enemy of God. He saw the church as trying to destroy the Mosaic law and the way of Israel. So when I say the way, I mean the traditions. You know, for something to have lasted 1,400 years, they developed... A tradition, and in and if you go back more, you you got Abraham, you got Isaac and Jacob. So all of that whole history is a part of what happened to Israel, and uh, they developed a way of life. It's not just a, a tradition; it's a way of life. They just felt that. You know, God had led them along the path all their all their days, and now all of a sudden, He's calling the church. They saw the church as the enemy. Interestingly, in Romans eleven, where God says, as far as uh, the gospel is concerned, they Israel are enemies for your sake. So. This is clearly, Paul is saying, I was on that side. I was an enemy of the church. I tried to destroy it. Point D, Paul took it personally and embodied the text. So this, if you look at this scripture, that is in John 16, 2 through, two and two through 3, this is exactly how Paul fought, felt about it. He says, they will, this is, and Jesus is saying this, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming 
when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. That's what Paul thought he was doing, serving God by stamping out the church. He thought the church was just some aberration, some blight, uh, some mole on, on, the, on God and his legacy of Israel. And Paul thought, let's get rid of it. Let's excise it. Let's, ki let's kill the church. And that's what religious people are doing when it comes to the plan of God. First, Paul didn't even have salvation correct. He was trying to be justified by the works of the law. And then, so since he didn't have salvation correct, he certainly didn't have the understanding of his calling in Israel correct. So it's not like Paul was correct in everything he was doing and then he just switched over to the church no he was incorrect in the way he was managing the calling of israel he didn't believe in christ even before christ came he didn't believe in him and when christ came he rejected him to his face i, I say to his face but i don't really have knowledge that paul ever faced christ but paul was a contemporary of the Lord Jesus Christ and his time here on earth. So, but Paul rejected that he was the Christ, the son of the living God. That means through all the signs, the wonders, the miracles that were uh, publicly done by the Lord Jesus Christ to demonstrate that he is the Christ. And by believing in him, you can have life in his name. All of that was discarded by the apostle who at the time was Saul the Pharisee of Tarsus. So just to know who he is and what he represented, um, we understand that he was in the business now of not only he took it personally. He said, I'm going to person, not every Pharisee took this on this way. But Paul says, I'm going to make it my business to stamp out the church. That's what I'm going to do. Point E, Saul was not acting alone. He had the highest authority. And we're going to go through a couple of these passages, Acts 9, 1 through 6. Let's look at that first. 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way. The way was the term the uh, Christian church had in, in, in its very beginning. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So he was going to arrest them in Damascus and take them to Jerusalem as he neared Damascus on his journey. So he was, he was coming close to Damascus Suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Okay, so this, this is the first thought. And then if you skip over to 10 uh, through 16, see some more. Verse 10, 
In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him, called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So uh, as the story goes, Lord, Ananias answered, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. So notice, Ananias was aware, even though he was way in Damascus, the word got all the way down to him and he heard Paul had a rep, Saul had a reputation and he said, whoa, wait a minute, are you sure? Because this is the, you, you're talking about this man we heard about in Jerusalem, he's doing, he's wreaking havoc and he's coming here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. So just notice the atmosphere around the Apostle Paul. And then uh, keep, keep going down, 19, um, verse 19 through 25. We won't have to read the whole thing. How uh, after uh, taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. Notice the atmosphere that the early church lived in. And when I say atmosphere, but the fear that Paul brought, I say Paul, his Saul of Tarsus brought to the church. People knew about it. This was not something that was like on in the corner somewhere where he was just some person with his own way. He had the highest authority. Now, when I say the highest authority, we, we should know that in the entire world, if we were going to ask, who should we go to to hear from God? Who... In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul calls these people the rulers of this world. The rulers. And here, these when we talk about the chief priests, God invested in this people. This is God's nation, Israel. And if anybody has the revelation of God, it would be these people. Yet, these very people are the ones who gave Saul the authority to go out and to stamp out the church. So just know he was acting with the highest authority. So even though 
the Jews in Jerusalem and all over, you know, these the rulers, that is, I should say, gave Saul the authority to do this. They were against the church wholeheartedly, but they used Saul as their weapon to go out and destroy the church. So he was acting with the highest of authority. And it wasn't secret. This was known. The, the, the church in Damascus, the, the believers there, knew about Saul coming down to uh, arrest people and bring them back to Jerusalem. He knew about it. They knew about it, I meant to say. Let's keep going. Point number two, and this is, point number two is Galatians 1.14. Uh, so he says, uh, I was advancing, this is again, Paul in Galatians 1.14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Let's dig into that a little bit. Uh, we got a few points. Saul was a Pharisee, as we already said uh, from Philippians chapter 3. He was a Pharisee, which alone speaks for itself. So just say, to say he was a Pharisee, that's not easily uh, accomplished. That, that People saw a Pharisee as somebody who was close to God. I mean, they would revere them. If a Pharisee was walking down the street, people would probably move out the way cleared away because here comes these important people walking down the road. I don't know if we have any way to look at that. Maybe like the Pope, you know. Now, of course, I don't see the Pope as somebody, you know, to be revered. <clears throat> we just talked about that we are not to revere men in this way when we were talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in our Q&A session. But people do that with the Pope. The Catholic Church, oh my gosh, they look at the Pope as though he was God. They put him, you know, I'm not going to go down this road. I think you already know what I, where it goes. But he, Paul is saying, now this is what he says, he was a Pharisee. And he, not only was he a Pharisee, that enough, that's enough to say, wow, this guy was, you know, at the top of the religious chain. So he, but he was ahead of his peers. He was like a prodigy. <clears throat> he was somebody who had all the right, he went to the Ivy League schools. <clears throat> he did all the right things so that he, nobody could bring any disrepute or they could say that he was less than. And not only that, he was smart. He was accomplished. He says he was ahead of all his peers. Who's his peers? Other Pharisees. That's who he's talking about. Other Pharisees. So just being a Pharisee alone was a task that many or most could not even think about. But the fact that he was a Pharisee, and then he's telling us he was ahead of all it of his peers is to say he was a prodigy. He was somebody who gave heart, soul, body, and mind to the religion of Israel. 
I say the religion of Israel because he wasn't saved. He, he believe it, all of all of that, and he wasn't even saved. It's, it's like what Jesus said to Nicodemus when he first saw him. Nicodemus, he looked at him and he said, "You must be born again." Can you imagine? Nicodemus's astonishment and frustration with that. First, he didn't even understand what it meant. So Jesus had to say at one point, you, a teacher of the law, and you don't know these things? Wow, look at the state of Israel. If you, a teacher, in the position that you're in, don't know these things, well, Paul, or, or let's just keep it Saul, he, he was ahead. This, this is somebody who was, but you know, so all of that is to say, human intelligence or human achievement means nothing when it comes to the plan of God or understanding you know, what the church is and salvation and all the things that... <clears throat> Just because you're smart, humanly speaking, does not mean that somehow the Spirit of God is also uh, a part of your knowledge. This is, the Spirit of God comes with humility. That's the only way He can teach you, because we're so full of ourselves and our agendas and so forth. We have to have humility. <laughs> That's the only requirement <clears throat> for us to know God, it's humility. He has hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and yet he has revealed them to babes, so we read. This is not something that is for those who have achieved in this world. It's for everybody. That's for them too, but it's for everybody. And I like what Jesus says. It is, <clears throat> I have not come... Uh, for those who uh, don't need a physician, I have come for those who do. Well, Jesus is basically saying, everybody needs me. Some people just don't know it. Some people feel that they are self-sufficient. Don't need anything. So, and, so just keep in mind, Paul was ahead. He was a prodigy. I mean, this, this one point, I know we're still laboring on it, but... I just want you to see who this man was. And I don't want you to have respect for men. God is not a respecter of man. Neither should we be. So when people do excel in the word of God, and then God says, well, then, then double honor should be given to them. Those who labor in the word and, and, and teach, double honor should be given to them. But the reason, what he's saying is, is because people give their honor to the wrong people. They, they will give honor to people who think, you know, the world has uh, applauded. But remember, that is not the standard that God has set. Those who are great in the world are not necessarily great in the eyes of God. So just keep that in mind as we go forward. And these... The leaders of the world, they should have had the greatest knowledge of God, were coming to nothing. Point B, Paul says he was extremely zealous 
for the traditions of my fathers. I, that's what he said. He's saying of himself. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, the traditions of the fathers. <laughs> uh, let's just read the whole thing and we'll get to the understanding of it. Those zealous for the law created more laws. And they became part of their traditions. In Saul's day, they were, there were oral traditions, but they were reduced to writing in what we call the Mishnah and the Talmud. <clears throat> and I gave you, if you do want to look at some of this, I'm not saying it is essential for you to know these things. But if you want to know a little bit more detail about what I'm saying here, you can go to this link here that I've included. It will help you understand more about uh, this thought. But now, let's get to the thought of it here. He was extremely zealous for the traditions of the fathers. Now, that word zealous, it, it says in Romans 10.1, he's talking about himself. He, it's easy to say these things where he's now on the other side of it because he saw himself in the same footsteps as disobedient Israel was. In Romans 10.1, he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God is for the Israelites, is that they may be saved. Notice what he says about them in 10.2. For I can testify about them. You sure can, can't you? Because <laughs> you were one of them. They, were, they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So you got to be careful because people, being zealous is infectious. People can infect others with their zeal. And then people are running, you got people running, but in the wrong direction. So be careful about people who are zealous without knowledge. The knowledge comes from the Word of God and, and God the Holy Spirit. So Paul can certainly testify about that because he, he was there. So, so get this now. We just want to paint a picture of uh, understanding so that the law, <clears throat> right, was there in the Old Testament. And what they did was it became a tradition of understanding. So when we had the traditions of the elders, these were not just what the law said, but it was how the law should be interpreted. See this, <clears throat> now we're getting into another area. So the traditions of the elders are not just the Mosaic law, but how we should understand the Mosaic law. Now, this is not uncommon, right? Now, we have commentaries today, right? And the com So when you look at the Bible, you say, I don't quite understand that. What, what is that in the Bible, that verse? So what we, a lot of times what people will do is they'll go to the commentaries. Now, there is a myriad of commentaries out there on the Bible. We should know. But the commentaries on the Bible do not hold the same weight as what the traditions of the elders did. And, and so, so Saul, in Saul's day, they were not written. They were oral traditions, which means they were passed down from one generation to the next. And what, what the Pharisees did 
not only did they know what these traditions were, but they memorized them. They could say, you know, based on uh, Pharisee so-and-so from such-and-such, the eyesight, and then he would quote exactly what that Pharisee said about the law. That's how these traditions became a part of, you know, what they considered was the Word of God. So so not only did they have the Word of God, but they had all of these things that, or we should say, the ways to interpret the Word of God. And that's an interesting thought. And I, as I was studying this, I remember, I, I don't remember when we first went through Galatians if I covered it in this detail, but we are now. We're here. So when I think about that, I think, yeah, so even in the Quran, right, the Quran has the text that's there in the Quran, but they have also other writings that they look at to understand the text that's in the Quran. So uh, we call those the Hadith. And so, but there are many hadiths. It's not just one hadith that's the people, the Muslim people will uh, say, well, not only do they believe in the Quran, but they believe in this particular hadith, right? And there are different ones. So that's where you get different views of how to interpret the Quran. And, and then, so these different uh, views create different we don't say denominations, but factions or different divisions in how people look at Islam. So, so all of that's true there. It's certainly true for what happened to Israel with the Mishnah and the Talmud, right? what they've done. Uh, to a small degree, you could see that also in the commentaries. Now, not to the same degree, because... The way the Jews held the Mishnah and the Talmud, they held that in high esteem, almost to the point where they saw that as in keeping with the Mosaic law. But when it came to um, Islam, same thing. They held it in such high esteem, that was the way they interpreted the Quran. But we have to be careful that we don't follow in those same footsteps when it comes to these commentaries. So if I were to ask you, and I'm not asking you, this is sort of rhetorical, I will answer. If I were to ask you, how do we interpret? What is the meaning of the text that we have in the Bible? Where, do we, where are we getting that from? And the answer is God the Holy Spirit. That is who gives us the meaning. So, now you can say, well, why didn't he give the Jews the meaning? Now, we're going to just, I'm not, we're not going to talk about Islam anymore. Only reason we talked about it was because of the practice that they had. It's the same as the way the Jews had, similar. Let's put it that way, similar to what the Jews had with their revelation. But now I'm going to directly deal with the Jews because... God did show up to the Jews. He did not show up to, to Muhammad. He did show up to the Jews. And they did get the revelation from God. 
But God, the Holy Spirit, is supposed to be the one to give them the, the proper interpretation of the Mosaic Law. And they did not get it. You know why? Because they resisted the Holy Spirit. Just as your forefathers did, so do you, Acts 7.51. They had a generational history of resisting the Holy Spirit. So, what did they do in lieu of that? They came up with these, what we call, the traditions of the elders. Now, some, like I said, some of the, the things that they came up with in the Mishnah and the Talmud do not, are not in the, the Torah. But, as far as they're concerned, they are based on things that are in there. And they interpret things that uh, need interpretation. Some, some things that are in there need to be interpreted. Well, what do you mean, God? How do you mean that? Well, that is for God, the Holy Spirit, to bring to the table. When it comes to the Christian church, or where we are today, and we have a new revelation as well, how do we understand or interpret that? Well, God has given us means to be able to do it. The primary person is God, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Truth. It is, he is not just some force, but he is a person who is in us, and he's leading and guiding us into all truth. So our hadith, our elders, you know, our oral tradition, we could say what the Jews had, it was reduced to writing is God the Holy Spirit. Now notice, it is not the commentaries. And I'm saying, now does that say that I'm saying the commentaries have no value? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it is not the commentaries. It is the ultimate understanding of the scriptures is God the Holy Spirit. If we have humility he will lead and guide us into all truth. That is the only thing we need. Obviously, we need to be saved first. And then, as we have humility, God the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us into all truth. He is also designated for us in the church pastor-teachers. Now, it, it, it goes without saying that the pastor-teachers are under the authority and influence of the spirit of truth. It goes without saying. So, there it is. God has his method of not only giving us his word, but helping us to understand what that means, how we are to understand that. So, anybody can read the Bible, but it takes God the Holy Spirit to understand what God has written. So, this is, a, this is an important point. I wanted to make that point to say, do not depend on the commentaries for your understanding. If you have any experience in looking at the commentaries, you will know that they're all over the place. I mean, they, you may find some good, interesting things in there, but you will you, you go to those same commentaries and say, well, what did they do with this verse? And you say, oh, they, they didn't. 
didn't do a good job on that verse. Why do you have the knowledge of that? Because of God, the Holy Spirit. You're able to even judge. The Spirit can judge the thoughts and intents of the heart. And we can easily judge the commentaries because those are the people who are just like us, who have sat there, looked at the Scripture, whether they resisted the Holy Spirit or not, depends on what interpretation they got. So, notice, it's not just the Word that we need. It's the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth has been given in this age, in particular, for us to come to know the things that are freely given to us. We need God, the Holy Spirit. He's not like, well, somewhere over there, I'll figure it out, and then somewhere over there, the Holy Spirit, he'll confirm that, what I said. That's not the case. He's the one who is leading out. I'm going to move on to point C, because I know I spent a lot of time on this. Hopefully, we'll talk about it more. Point C, Saul specialized in religious traditions, which were not based on biblical teaching, but a distortion of the Mosaic law. Hence, the big lie was also the resistance of the Spirit, which I kind of spoke about already with Acts 7.51 and Romans 10.1-4. through 4. So notice, <clears throat> Saul, who he specialized. In other words, he achieved greatly. He was a prodigy. He was, he was a, ahead of his peers, right? in these religious traditions, which were not based on the biblical teaching because God the Holy Spirit was in the Old Testament just like he is in the New Testament. Well, if you don't understand, I'm just going to give you one scripture about it. John chapter 14, and this is when Jesus was talking to the disciples. And part of this, uh, where he's introducing the Spirit to come, this is what he says. He says, uh, verse 15. Well, that's 15, right? Let's just start with 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate, the Spirit of truth. Oh, I'm sorry. He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you. Notice, he lives with you and will be in you. So the Spirit didn't come. These people were still un officially under Israel, these disciples. But the Spirit was there. Jesus makes the point. He's with you now, and he will be in you. You know why I know the Spirit was with them even then? Because all of them understood that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they believed in him. They were following him as disciples. And the Spirit was there, working in them, influencing them. Jesus is making the point here. He, he was with, but you know him. He lives with you 
and will be in you. So there's two different ways the Holy Spirit is going to be manifested. He was already manifested in the Old Testament under Israel, and he will be manifested when Pentecost comes in a different way than he was prior. That's why he's given the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because of neither. See, you know him. Right? He's telling the disciples this information. So Israel, let's go back to our notes. <clears throat> I say all this to say um, that Israel should have been able to depend on the spirit to get the proper interpretation of these things. And they did not. So this is why I'm saying Paul specialized in the wrong teaching. It was based on a biblical teaching, but it was a distortion of the Mosaic Law. It wasn't, it wasn't what God, the Holy Spirit, they had to resist the Spirit to get to this distortion, which they held in high esteem. Uh, so I call it the big lie. The big lie was also there, was perpetuated because of their resistance of the Holy Spirit. So point D, let's keep moving. Jesus stood against these traditions and saw them as opposed to the will of God. So look at, so, so Matthew 15, 1 through 9, did Jesus know about these traditions? He certainly did. He certainly did. And he opposed them. So let's look at a couple of them. Um, 1 through 9. Uh, Matthew 15. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now notice, <clears throat> they're asking this question because there are clear violations of the traditions of the elders. They're coming to the to, to, they don't go to the disciples, they go to Jesus, who's their leader. And he's saying, you, you have led them the wrong way. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? Now, what Jesus is supposed to do is cave into this by saying things like, oh, right, the traditions of the elders, right, 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 we're supposed to adhere to them. No, we're not. So Jesus replied, And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? Wow. That's heavy. So we're talking about what the Apostle Paul majored in. The Apostle Paul had, a, had his doctorate in. And Jesus said this about it, that it is not the command of God. You're, you are in violation of what the Mosaic Law said because of your tradition. So that would be to say, you can, de you can derive a lot from that. That would be to say that their traditions of the elders were in conflict with the Word of God. They were not in harmony. They were not explaining what the Word of God meant. They were in conflict. And this, according to Jesus so Jesus points out some of it. Here it is. He says, For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that 
what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, then they are not to honor their father or mother with it. So already, how, I mean, so this is what they call the Corban rule. Uh, Pharisees, the, the, these leaders were stingy. They did not want to support their aging parents, the elderly. And they said, well, I can't give you this money because it's been devoted. I've been, it's been dedicated to the temple. So the father and mother would not be honored. So this is also to say that a band, the Mosaic Law here was that you are not to abandon your elderly father or mother. You are honoring your father or mother, mother. In this application, Jesus is saying, take care of them. Take care of your aging parents. And the Pharisees, in their tradition of the elders, basically went against what God's command was. So notice what I'm doing here. I'm showing what the Spirit's interpretation of honoring your father and mother is. That's the command. Jesus said they were breaking because of their tradition. But this, it also tells us what the truth of the matter is, that honoring your father and mother is to take care of them. It's more important than you dedicating money to the temple and you're neglecting your father and mother. So, uh, so that's verse 15, 5. But, it, but you say, if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they are not to honor their father or mother with it. Thus, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. So <laughs> we're talking about so did Paul well, did Paul like Christ? No. Because the thing, the very thing he majored in was human traditions, human rules that were made up. Even though we we're around the law, they were made up and they conflicted with the law. So we should know, I mean, we got to be very careful about this that we are to get our information from the Spirit of Truth. And if you're not sure what the Spirit of Truth is, this is why God gave us pastors and teachers and the, our own humility to within ourselves to, uh, to depend on God for His understanding. And if we do that, God will give us the understanding. He will guide us. Jesus is saying He will guide us into all truth. It's the Spirit of God. He is at work in the world. We have to learn to depend on God, the Holy Spirit. So Jesus stood against these traditions and he opposed them because they were opposed to the will of God. That was point D. All right, we're going to... It's already 107, but I will introduce point number three, Galatians 1.15. But when God, who set me apart, from my mother's womb 
and called me by his grace, was pleased. Now, I know the next one says, pleased to reveal his son in me. I just want to make sure we understand that. So it, it, it's really good for us to understand where, the, where Saul was and how he eventually became the apostle to the Gentiles. And what we're going to see next week, we're going to dig into this a little bit more, but you're going to also see that it, was, it wasn't just like a light switch where you switch, it was off, and you just turn it on. I think you're going to see the Apostle Paul wrestling with his call. We're going to talk more about that next week and how he did wrestle with his call. It wasn't just turn the light switch from off to on. You're going to see Paul is giving you personally, transparently, how he handled the call. And so we have that information in the book of Galatians. It is um, given to us so that we can understand that we're not to depend on traditions like he did or rules of men and, and, and adhere to them as though they, were, they came from God. He's given us this information so that we will understand how we are to interpret and understand God's will in our lives as well. He did it. He worked through it. We will too because we have to separate from our traditional norms and standards, those things which we revere in our lives that may not be God's will for us. We have, to, we have to conform to the image and likeness of his son. This is the goal. So we're, we're going to stop. I know we could press on for a couple more points here, but uh, a little bit at a time. And we did cover some hefty thoughts. I just want to stop and at this point and we'll come back next week, God willing, and we'll, we'll continue our quest in Galatians. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. This, we thank you for this information that you have given us, this behind the scenes look into Saul of Tarsus. Not only does it help us understand who he was but there are plenty of applications in our own lives about how we orient to the truth and understand your provisions for us and not only that but that we understand uh, the word of God for us in this time we thank you for those who have joined uh, this call this and, and are part of this church and we thank you uh, Father, as you have given us a clear understanding of not only what salvation is, but how to grow in grace and uh, fulfill the responsibility that is before us. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Amen.